Thank you for this opportunity to be with you again today. It's a great joy, and I bring you greetings from your sister church in Mansfield, Heritage Baptist Church. Our text words today are from Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, or rather, verse 5, Matthew 5, 5. Our Lord Jesus here in the Beatitudes tells us in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we acknowledge that we cannot rightly understand or believe it or obey it without the gracious work of your spirit and the mediation of Christ. We pray for this this morning. We ask you for all of your people here that you would help us to better understand this beatitude of meekness and see it in our Lord Jesus and that you would help us to see increase of it in ourselves. And we pray for our children and any here who are yet without Christ that you would graciously humble their hearts by the work of your spirit and bring them to faith in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our Lord tells us here, blessed are the meek. This is in the middle of the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, our Lord Jesus is giving eight marks, eight characteristics of every true Christian. He's not describing eight different Christians as if some are poor in spirit, others are meek, others mourn over their sins. But rather he's describing what every disciple in his kingdom is. When he speaks of meekness, blessed are the meek. The word he uses in the Greek is a word they used for animals that were broken, like a horse who had been wild, but now it's broken, or people still use the term today, the horse has been meeked. The Comanches who lived on the southern plains and who dominated a large portion of the southern plains for 400 years had a way of breaking or meeking horses. They would chase down a wild Mustang on the plains. But you couldn't just take that Mustang and ride it. It would kill you. If you tried to get on it, it would kick you off. It would run away. If you cornered it in a canyon to try to catch it, it would do everything it could to trample you. It was a wild horse. There's no way to use it. It's of no usefulness to a master. It's running wild, running loose on the plains, doing its own thing, kicking and running and thinking only of itself. It will not submit to a master. So those Comanches would chase down a wild Mustang. They would lasso it. And then they would tighten that lasso until they strangled it. They would strangle it to death nearly. And when that horse fell down on the ground and was becoming unconscious. They would loosen that lasso and they would get down in its face and they would breathe air into its nostrils. When that horse got back up on its feet, that Comanche man could jump on its back and take off and ride it. It would go where he steered it. It would do what he told it to do. It would obey its master's commands. Why? What made the difference? Well, it had been meeked. This is the word that our Lord Jesus uses here when he tells us, blessed are the meek. And in opening up this beatitude, we already are, are very familiar with the promise 
that we will inherit the earth. We know our Lord Jesus is telling us here that every one of his people will inherit the new heavens and new earth. A life in glory forever and a new earth in God's presence with no sin, no Satan, nothing that hurts, nothing that brings tears. It brings tears. He'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. This is the promise. But what I want to focus on today is what does he mean by this meekness of those that will inherit the earth? So our subject today is blessed are the meek. And we'll see it in three simple thoughts. We'll consider the meaning of it. What does it mean? Blessed are the meek. What is this meekness speaking of? And we'll see examples of it, two examples of it. And then I want to give you some encouragements in it. So blessed are the meek. Meaning, examples, and encouragement. When Jesus speaks here of the meek, we want to define this first negatively. I want to talk about what it's not. What is the opposite of what he's speaking of here? Well, the opposite of meekness would be stubborn pride. Scripture refers to it throughout as being stiff-necked. Remember how in the book of Acts, the apostles would be preaching the gospel, the, the unbelieving Jews are rejecting it. He says, you stiff-necked. That's one of the terms he calls them. It's referencing... An animal like a horse, a farm animal that is supposed to obey and move its neck and move its direction wherever it's steered, but instead it stiffens its neck. It won't submit to the master. This is what it's talking about. This stiff neckness spiritually is the opposite of the meekness Christ is speaking of here. In Zechariah the prophet, God speaks of those who heard the word of God and instead of hearing it and believing it, they pulled away their shoulder. Speaks of the pulling away of the shoulder. That's another analogy of a farm animal that's supposed to submit, but instead it shirks away. You can see a child do that, that's, that's stubborn and rebellious. His daddy puts his hand on his shoulder and he pulls away. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. This is the opposite of meekness. Well, how would we know if we manifest this opposite of meekness, this stubborn pride? Well, one way is, what is our response toward God when God afflicts us. This stubborn pride, this lack of meekness is manifest when God brings afflictions and we respond in anger towards God. We might say, well, I'm, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling exasperated and, and aggravated about the situation, but I'm not angry at God, I'm just angry at the situation. Well, we know, we who know that the decrees of God are his eternal purpose. And in that eternal purpose, he foreordains whatsoever comes to pass. We know who foreordained the situation. We know whose providence it is that directs all things that's put us in this situation, that's arranged all of our circumstances. So when we respond in anger, this is a display of our lack of meekness toward God. You can see it in a relation to our fellow man when we respond in sinful anger and unforgiveness toward our neighbor. This is a lack of meekness that causes us to do this. To the extent we're meek, then we don't grow sinfully angry with our spouse, angry with our spouse, with our kids, with our parents, with our co-worker. 
forgiveness to them when they wrong us. So toward God and toward man in our natural, fallen, sinful condition, we're stubborn, pridefully stubborn by nature. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my way. Even if you're religious and you say you love God, you do it in a way that is, I will establish my way of worshiping God. My way of serving God. Even this is stubborn pride. It's what we are by nature, just like that wild Mustang running loose. Living for himself, living for our own desires, being our own master. But positively, we can define this meekness. In consideration towards God, we can look at it as submission to God's will. Thomas Watson defined it this way, submission to God's will and a pliability or pliableness to God's word. In submission to God's will, we can think of examples like Job. Remember when God poured out those terrible and difficult afflictions. He allowed Satan to bring those afflictions upon Job. And remember how Job struggled with this. Yes, he confessed the goodness of God. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But he did struggle with it. You may say, well, maybe I don't have this gospel meekness because I struggle with evil thoughts against God, with the afflictions he's brought, the tragedy, the difficult difficulties. The hardships that I've faced. I struggle with thoughts of unbelief, you may say. I struggle with feelings of bitterness or resentment towards God. Why did you allow this to happen this way? So I must not have this meekness that Jesus is talking about. <laughs> but I remind you, dear Christian, that Job, even though he was the most righteous man on earth, the man whom God pointed Satan too and said, this is a man that you can't cause to deny my name. Even righteous Job struggled and you see that throughout most of the book. He's trying to answer the question of why this happened. Why has God allowed these afflictions? And even at times he foolishly accuses God of treating him unfairly and he has to repent of that. This is in great contrast. Even though you as a Christian struggle like Job did, you struggle under affliction, you struggle with sinful thoughts toward God, sinful feelings toward God. Yet this is a far cry different from the wicked in Revelation. Remember when God has poured out affliction upon them, the, the sun is, is burning them up and they have boils on their skin and they know this is the judgment of God. They know it's the God of heaven sending this judgment. Do they repent? Do they confess the goodness of God? No, it tells us that they repented not of their idolatry, that they blasphemed the God of heaven. That is their response. So even though you struggle, dear Christian, yet you have a meekness toward God that you didn't have before. Think about these Beatitudes. They're not eight different things, but rather they're like... Chrysostom called them a golden chain. They're linked together where one is, all the rest are, and they follow in sequence. 
This is the third beatitude. We've already had the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is how God begins this work in you, dear Christian, of working this blessed meekness into your heart. When he convicts you by the preaching of law and gospel, he brings you to a poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He empties you of all self-righteousness, of self-reliance, of self-dependence. He empties you of all this. And you cling to Christ alone as your salvation. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You cling to Christ as all your spiritual riches. The natural result of this is that you realize what a sinner you are and what a sinner you have been and you mourn over your sins. You realize I've wasted my whole life until now. Every day of my life has been spent in sin and rebellion against God so good. And only now am I clinging to Christ. And oh, how I wished I would have known Him sooner. Oh, how I wished I hadn't used my mind and my mouth and my my gifts and my abilities and my influence all these years to live in sin and you mourn. And then as a Christian, when you sin, you mourn over that and you repent. And blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And the natural result of God producing in you this poverty of spirit, this mourning over the sin. Now there's a meekness about you that you never had before. A meekness toward God to bow to His will and submit to His will even when you don't understand what God is doing. Like that wild Mustang that's had the air choked out of it and its master has breathed life back into it as it were. As God has choked out your own self-righteousness and that stubborn pride and He's breathed into you his very spirit and brought you to spiritual life. Now you're willing to submit to him. You're willing to follow his word. It's, it's like, uh, dear children, you know what it's like when, when you're playing with Play-Doh and somebody leaves the cap open just a little bit on that Play-Doh container. You open it up, you're so excited, you're going to mold it into a snake or you're going to mold it into a star. You've got to an image in mind and you're going to shape it how you want it and you take it out as hard as a rock. It's like a brick. Well, that's how your heart is before God does this work of regeneration gives you a new heart. It's hard toward God. You will not be molded by the truth of God's Word. You hear sermon after sermon. You hear the Word read and you know what it says but yet your heart hardened against it. What God saves you he gives you a new heart that's like that fresh Play-Doh that's moldable, pliable, can be molded to whatever the maker wants of it. This is what this meekness is toward God. Towards God's will and toward God's word. But how do you see it toward your fellow man when God produces this meekness in you? What does that look like toward your neighbor? Well, person who is meek is somebody of a gentle spirit. Gentle spirited as opposed to harsh or cruel. Well, somebody might say, well, I, you know, I excel in this because I'm naturally the quiet type. I'm naturally laid back. So 
So I am characterized by this blessed meekness. No, you can be laid back and calm and quiet my nature and not have an ounce of this meekness. This is not what it's talking about. This is talking about someone who, as Paul said, is not easily provoked. Have you ever been around somebody and it seems like you can push their buttons and push their buttons and be in the most annoying situation? They just stay calm and collected. They don't lose their temper. They don't lose their cool. That's meekness displayed. But you know what it is when you get irritable? It's just one of those days, maybe on the way to church this morning, you were this way. Any little thing the kids ask, they ask a simple little question and you bite their head off. You feel irritable. You feel quick to lash out at others. That's because of the lack of meekness. The one who's meek is free from a mindset of spite and revenge. When that person whips by you in traffic and you wish you had those James Bond missile systems on your car where you could just blow them up the road. Don't tell me that's never crossed your mind. If we were perfectly meek, we wouldn't feel that way. We wouldn't think that way. The meek person can take a rebuke without being angry or offended. You ever know somebody and you can give them a criticism and they say, thank you, I, I didn't realize I was doing that, I'll work on that. That's meekness. But you know what it's like too when somebody points out something and criticizes or rebukes you and, and, and you bristle like that porcupine. I only want to hear good things about myself. You respond in anger, that is because of lack of meekness. But the one who is meek the reason that you are meek, dear Christian, every one of you are saying are characterized by this meekness, even if imperfectly. But the reason that you're meek toward God and toward neighbor in a way that you weren't before is because you are so shocked and amazed at God's free grace to you in Christ. You, a hell-worthy sinner, God has been so gracious and merciful and he's done so much for you, such free and lavish grace he's poured out upon you that you cannot help but want to forgive others. And you can't help but want to treat others well, even if you do this imperfectly. This is the meaning of this blessed meekness. But if a picture is worth a thousand words, I'm going to give you two pictures of men who were meek. The first one we can think about is the man whom God said was the meekest man on earth in Numbers 12, 3. Moses, God called him the meekest man on earth. And this is an example of a man who was a sinner just like you, who had sinful flaws just like you. He struggled with anger just like you, sinful anger. And yet God worked into him this meekness just like he's working into you. And he can be an example to us in that. So we look at the life of Moses. Now when God says Moses was the meekest man on earth, this couldn't always describe Moses. Moses wasn't always meek like this. You remember toward the beginning of the book of Exodus how that God's people, the Jews, were in slavery in Egypt. 
And Moses had grown up as a prince in Pharaoh's house. You remember how Moses saw that taskmaster abusing his Jewish brothers and Moses took it upon himself and killed that Egyptian and hid his body in the sand? What was Moses doing when he did that? He was in effect saying, I with a strong arm, with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand, I will deliver my people from Egyptian bondage. Remember later in the Exodus, God says, I with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand. Moses says, no, I'm not going to wait on God. I'm going to do it by my hand. He did not wait on God's way or God's time. And the reason he did that is because of the lack of meekness. This is the opposite of meekness. You know how as a result he had to go into the, the Midian desert. He had to flee for 40 years and be a shepherd there learning meekness. Then when he came back to Egypt, he had a totally different attitude when God called him in the burning bush and then sent him back to Egypt. He went in God's time, in obedience to God's word and God's way. And God through him delivered the Jewish people out of bondage. You can see this meekness toward God and his submission of himself to wait on God's time and God's way and to do it for God's glory. You can see it toward his fellow man. There in Numbers 12, when God called Moses the meekest man on earth, the context there is his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron had been running their mouths about him and criticizing Moses for the Ethiopian wife he had married. Not only that, they were trying to take over his ministry. They wanted to set themselves up as prophets instead of Moses being the prophet to speak to the people. You ever had in-laws run their mouth about your spouse? Have you ever had somebody pastor that wants to run you off and take over as pastor? You ever had some, somebody at work that wants to get you fired so they can take your job position? What's our automatic response usually when we face people like this? Well, Moses' automatic response was to pray for him. It tells us that God was angry with Miriam when, when she was running her mouth against Moses and God struck her with leprosy. That deadly skin disease. Now, what if somebody had been running their mouth about your spouse or trying to take you out of the ministry and take over your ministry and God strikes them with a deadly sickness all of a sudden? I don't know about you, I'd be inclined to rejoice and offer up a prayer of thanksgiving. Look how God has vindicated me. And I'd be tempted to pray that, that God would teach him a lesson. But it tells us that Moses cried out to God, please spare Miriam. And God heard his prayer. God spared her life. That's because of this meekness toward his fellow man. You can see it with the Israelites when they had made the golden calf in Exodus 32. And Moses prays for them. Even though they deserve to be wiped out under God's judgment, he prays, oh God, Blot me out of your book instead of them. This is meekness toward God and man. Even if it's a flawed and sinful example in Moses. 
But I point you to the ultimate example, the sinless, flawless, perfect example of meekness, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ, the only man who possesses this perfectly in this life. Think about our Lord Jesus as he told us in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. Our Lord Jesus displayed meekness toward God. Think about in his incarnation, the Son who is God as much as the Father is God. He is that one true God that the Father is and the Spirit is. He who by nature does not submit to God because he is God. One will. One essence. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to the Son, except for the fact that the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. That's the only distinction between them. There is no distinction of will concerning His nature. But when Christ enters into the incarnation, He submits. And in Philippians 2, the Apostle tells us how that He takes those steps. Christ takes those steps down and down and down into the depths of humility even as he humbles himself he takes on the form of a servant and he humbles himself unto death even that lowly and humiliating death of the cross all oh, the meekness of our Lord Jesus Christ toward God think there as he approaches his cross work as you see our Lord Jesus in the garden and there like a Sailor at sea that would be looking in to the, to the dark storm clouds of an approaching hurricane. And our Lord Jesus is looking in to the infinite depths of that black abyss of the judgment of God that is starting to bear down upon him as all of our eternities of judgment will be compacted upon Christ in a few hours on the cross. As he looks into the depths of the unbridled wrath of God due to guilty sinners, and it's about to come down upon him. He's about to be forsaken of his father upon the cross, and he, he cries out, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He breaks out into a bloody sweat. He's under so much pressure and so much stress. You know what it is as a Christian, when we face far lighter afflictions than this, we'll never face one drop of what Christ faced at the cross. And yet when we come under pressure, when we come upon dark providences and we see the gathering clouds of those dark providences, the dark times in life that God brings upon us, aren't we tempted to complain, to stiffen our neck and to result, to respond in stubborn pride? But not our Lord. Our Lord Jesus prays in that hour, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he submits to the death of the cross. Why? Because he is meek and lowly. Think about his meekness toward his fellow man. As Jesus is hanging there on the cross and the thieves on either side are being crucified with him, the thief on the right side has been mocking and blaspheming our Lord. And a little while later, he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See the meekness of Christ as he responds in grace and mercy 
and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. You who just mocked me, you'll be with me in paradise. You who just blasphemed me, you'll be with me in paradise. I forgive you, I save you, I extend forgiveness unto you. See his meekness as they, they whip his back and they, they tear open his back with the whip. They plaid the crown of thorns upon his head and the blood runs down. They nail him to the cross, nail his hands and feet to the cross and hoist him there. And what's his response? It's one of meekness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He being reviled, reviled not again, but he went as a lamb to the slaughter. And as, as a sheep before its shears is mute, he opened not his mouth. Oh, the meekness of our Lord Jesus Christ toward God and man. And I remind you, dear believer, that all of his perfect righteousness all of his perfect obedience, including this meekness, is credited to you. And God treats you like that's how you've always lived. He treats you as if you're as meek as Christ is. Why? Because you're in Christ by faith. And his righteousness is credited to you. His active and passive obedience. We might ask, somebody might ask, well... If meekness has to do with not being angry towards others, didn't Jesus grow angry? And yes, we know that he did. We know that this is a sinless and holy anger. And it was only a few times throughout his life that Scripture records he was angry. He wasn't characterized with it. It's not that when you think of Jesus, you think of anger. That's not, that's not what his M.O. or his usual operation was. It, it did did have instances of anger and every time it was at the perfect time his anger was with the perfect motive remember when he purged the temple with a whip it said that in John 2 that the, the zeal of your house has consumed me it wasn't for a petty offense that he did that it's because he was consumed with the glory of God and the worship of the temple it's always for the perfect motive, at the perfect time, for the perfect duration of time. He wasn't angry one second longer than he should have been. And it was always with perfect self-control. Jesus never lost his temper. He never experienced one moment of uncontrolled anger. So even in this, he was the perfect example of meekness. And I remind you, this is credited to you, dear believers. And by his death for you, he atoned for every time that you've been stubbornly prideful. But here in the Beatitudes, he's teaching you, he's teaching us that by his spirit, he works this meekness into you so that it describes you. And if this meekness does not describe you, dear friend, then you are outside of the kingdom of Christ and you not, are not a true Christian. This is what Jesus is laying out here. We might feel fearful when we hear that. When we think of our failings, when we think of our, our strugglings, our indwelling sin. We might wonder, am I even really in Christ's kingdom? Well, I want to give you third and lastly some encouragements. Three encouragements in this. 
The first encouragement is this. Imperfect meekness is still the blessed meekness that Jesus is speaking of here. Even if you have it in an imperfect way, it's still true meekness. Imagine, if you would, with me, that great stone carving. You, you've seen pictures of it. You might have seen it in real life. Mount Rushmore. It has the faces of the presidents in it. It's not the president, but it's an image of the president. One of those is George Washington. Everybody knows his face from the $1 bill. You can look at the likeness in Mount Rushmore and you can say, oh, that's the face of George Washington. It's an image that reflects George Washington himself. Well, imagine if there were an earthquake and George Washington's nose fell off at Mount Rushmore. Would you still be able to tell it was George Washington? Well, yeah, you would, you would still know it was him. There's enough of his likeness. Even though it's deformed, even though it's incomplete, it's lacking, you could still say that's the image of George Washington, even though it's imperfect. Dear believer, that's how it is with you in every beatitude. So you bear it imperfectly, yet you reflect the very meekness of Christ. And remember, this is what we confess in our confession 16, 5, and 6, that even our best works in our, in this context, our best beatitudes, including meekness, even our best works are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's judgment. Yet notwithstanding the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in Him, that He looking upon them in His Son is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. So even where you lack in this meekness, if there's only a little bit of it there, God receives it and pronounces you blessed in Christ only for the righteousness of Christ. Think about this with Moses. We look at his meekness, but Moses also had a sinful anger problem, which is the opposite of meekness. Remember, that's what kept him out of the promised land. God told him, speak to the rock and water will come out of it. But Moses was angry with the people, so he strikes the rock with his rod and God says, because of this, you will not enter into the promised land. What a lack of meekness in that situation and in other situations. And yet when God goes to memorialize Moses' life in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith, there's not one word about Moses' sinful anger. God only rehearses and highlights his faith. Dear believer, this is how it is with you. Imperfect meekness is still true meekness. And God commends you for it. The second encouragement is this, that this meekness is God's work in you. And God will never stop this work until you are perfectly meek as Christ is. It's God's work in you. Remember how Paul told the Philippians that he's confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. You think, oh, how, how I fall short in this. You feel so frustrated. You, you think you're growing in 
blessed meekness, and then you fall flat on your face. You lose your temper with your wife. You lose your temper with your kids. Wives, you lose your temper with your husband. You you either explode in anger or you implode in anger, and you, you go in a shell and we'll talk. You might have struggled with that this very day. And yet remember this, whatever meekness is in you, God's the one that put it there. God's the one that is working it in you. He's working in you more and more and he will keep working on you until that last day when Christ returns and you're glorified and forever you will be as perfectly meek as Jesus Christ is. You will never have a stubborn action against God or a stubborn thought or a stubborn feeling of pride. Never again. But with perfect meekness and submission to God's will and God's word, you will worship and serve him forever. So dear Christian, be diligent to participate in the means of grace, the hearing of the word and the sacraments. And in this, as you grow in meekness, remember that it is Christ, it is God doing this work in you. The third and final encouragement in this is this, that dear Christian, you who are meek, Eternal glory awaits you. Jesus tells us here that you'll inherit the earth. What the Jews wanted to hear during this time was blessed are the revolutionary freedom fighters for they will inherit the earth. We'll overthrow the Romans. That's the kind of king they wanted in Christ. The world's beatitude is blessed are the stubborn and prideful for they'll get their way. Jesus says, no, it's the meek that will inherit the earth. It will not be by self-willed pride, but it will be by gospel meekness that every one of you who are in Christ, you will enter in and possess and own along with Christ the entire created universe and enjoy it forever. So keep pursuing gospel meekness. Keep dying unto sinful pride, stubbornness and pride and anger and living unto Christ in this meekness. Dear sinner here today, those of you who are still in your sins, this beatitude is not to you. Our Lord Jesus doesn't call you blessed, but rather the message to you today is that you are cursed. You're not blessed. You're cursed and you will inherit. You will not inherit the earth. You will inherit the flames of hell for eternity. Every moment of your life until now, dear children, those of you who are still without Christ, every moment you've lived, you've been stiff-necked, you've pulled the shoulder away from God, you've, you've rebelled against His will, even the best of your good works are filthy rags before Him. It's like that Mustang running wild on the southern plains. You're running wild doing your own thing. You kick against others and kick against God and you will not submit. What a shame that your whole life has been wasted till now. But today there is a meek and lowly Savior, Jesus Christ. He holds out His hands to you. And He invites you, come to me. 
Come and take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. Come to him. Come to this meek Savior. He won't turn you away. He won't run you off. He, he won't push you away. No, he invites you, stubborn sinner, to come to him as a meek Savior and find forgiveness in him. And he'll receive you just like you are right now if you come to him. He's promised. And he'll become your master. He'll give you a new heart that you don't have now. You say, oh, I just, I'm so stubborn. I, my heart is so hard. He'll make it soft. He'll do the work by spirit. He'll do what you can't do for yourself. Come to him and be saved this day. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the teaching of our Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and here in the Beatitudes. And we do pray, would you please, by the work of your Spirit, to the praise of Christ, work this word into our hearts now. Bless the seed that's been sown. Help us as your people not to leave today looking at ourselves and all of our failings, but looking unto Jesus Christ. Oh God, be merciful to sinners and bring them to this wonderful, meek and lowly Savior, the friend of sinners, we pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.